1: Bug Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. P.D., remember you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what's up, man? A very sad
2: story yesterday. I want to give a shout-out to the family of Brent Wall, a journalist that unfortunately passed away during the World Cup, which is already been a travesty as it is with the living conditions there, but apparently a cardiac arrest. But they're thinking there could be government involvement, too, which is a scary thing thoughts. So, thoughts and prayers to his family and all the CBS sports affiliates over there.
1: Terrible story. I was going to go to Qatar, but after reading all the craziness that was going on and setting up the whole event in the World Cup, I had no interest to go into Qatar. Dealing with other things my life, I didn't want to go all the way to Qatar for a week, but it's a horrible story. And I figured there could be government involvement with that, too, because he
2: was wearing an LGBTQ shirt and it's illegal in their country, and it's terrible if that's the case. Even worse.
1: <laughs> a little bit later in the show, we we'll We'll be talking to CBS Sports and 24-7 Sports Editorial Director Adam Silverstein, college football, NFL football, and much, much more. The Yankees re-signing their superstar as they hook themselves in for nine years and 360 big ones as he becomes the highest-paid player in Major League history. $40 million annually, which makes him the highest-paid everyday player. It's a significant significant amount of money. Too many years for a player that's going to be 31 before the season starts. The Yankees wanted to protect their own player. The Mets signed Justin Verlander. Two years, $86.6 million after losing Jacob Big Daddy DeGrom to Texas. They had to have a secondhand player. The Cy Young winner in the American League as they have a senior citizen team coming to Queens. Might as well bring Bartolo Colon out of retirement at this rate. That would be nice. Almost 50 Bartolo played to his, like, forty six. He only retired uh, a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. The Mets are a senior citizen team now. Mets re-signed Brandon Nimmo to an eight-year, $160 million deal. I think this was a must after losing Jacob DeGrom, a guy that they built since their farm system. They drafted this kid. He's developed in a pretty good center fielder, one of the better center fielders in the league defensively, and a pretty good leadoff batter. And the Yankees, favorites to land. The big prize of the offseason. Carlos Rodon. And if the Yankees can steal the deal for Rodon, they'll have a one-two punch in Garrett Cole, righty, and Rodon, lefty. They have the best pitching staff, I believe, in the American League. Even from Houston, after losing Verlander. You have a power lefty and a power righty that can do damage, especially in the playoffs. They have Frankie Montaz that could have a really good season. He was runner-up a couple of years ago for the Cy Young. Nestor Cortez coming back. Luis Savarino for another year coming back. They still have Herman too. So there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the Yankees. Uh, especially if they land Carlos Rodon. The Jets lose to the Vikings 27-22. Mike White to remain starter versus the Bills. I know the last time he was pulled is when he got hurt last year against the Bills throwing four interceptions in the first half of the game. Big game for Mike White. It's a big prove-it game. After losing a game against Minnesota that the Jets should have won, they outplayed Minnesota in the second half of the game. They completely shut down Kurt, a.k.a cousin daddy and Mr. Justin Jefferson, who has had a very good season. One of the best wide receivers in all of the NFL. He really did nothing. It was great defense that the Jets provided in the second half, and they couldn't seal the deal in the red zone. They cannot do that against Buffalo this week because they will eat him up alive. Josh Allen will eat him up alive. He wants this game more than anybody does, especially losing at MetLife Stadium when he believed if he didn't get his arm hit, could have taken the ball all the way down, taken it to overtime, and maybe it would have been a different game. The Giants tie 20-20 to with the Commanders play the Eagles at home this week if they want to make the playoffs they need to win at least one of these games against the Eagles a divisional game against one of the best teams if not the best team in the whole National Football League the Bills lose Von Miller for the season with a torn ACL definitely hurts them it puts a hole in the middle of their defense three for all picks as of now me and Speedy are now tied thank you Bengals and Moneyline Mania with Chaz and all three tri-state teams are interested in Patrick Kane. Does he want to come to New York? Does he want to play on Long Island? Does he want to play in the city? Does he want to play in New Jersey? That's up to him and the Chicago Blackhawks on where they want to trade him and how much they can get for him. So why don't we get into some baseball? The Yankees have been the talk of the week. Everybody knew winter meetings was going to come and it was going to go. A lot of writers believed by the end of the winter meetings, we were going to know where Aaron Judge was going to go. There were rumors that he was thinking about going home to play in front of his family. He has missed his family. He's been in New York for the last nine years. He is from the West Coast. He's from the Bay Area. He just got married last year. Probably wants a family soon. The Yankees, going into the offseason, we heard Randy Levine, we've heard Brian Cashman, and Hal Steinbrenner say that nobody is going to outbid us for our player. The only way we're going to lose our player is if he decides he doesn't want to be here. And boy, Hal Steinbrenner, Brian Cashman, and Mr. Levine we're all right. They didn't get outbid. They matched everything that the Giants were offering him. Nine years, $360 million. It was an identical contract. And Aaron Judge had a choice. Where does he want to play? Does he want to play in New York as a career Yankee? Or does he want to go to a team that he knows nothing about? And that could be on the bottom of the National League with all the talent that there are in the National League East. And the National League West, Aaron Judge was the number one priority this offseason for the Yankees. If they lost him, you have to worry about where they're going to find that other player. Are they going to wait until the year after? Are they going to have a chance to get Soto? Do they have a chance to get Otani? If they do, what do they have to trade for Otani? The Yankees right now want to build around youth. The Volpes and the Perezas and the Cabreras and the Dominguez. They have talent in their farm system that they could build around. We didn't know the farm system was going to bring a talent like Aaron Judge, a brutally strong guy, six foot eight, 280 pounds, could squat almost 600 pounds and bench 350. The problem with Aaron Judge is his size. He is in the prime of his career. He needs to stay healthy. The Yankees need to find a way to keep this guy healthy for the next four years because a nine-year deal, you're only probably going to get four to five good years out of it. With a guy with that size, that athletic ability, a 5-2 player, how is his athletic ability going to stay there? Ask Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter wasn't the same player when he hit 35. Now, Aaron Judge is different. He hasn't played as long as Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter came into the league when he was 19 years old. Aaron Judge Judge didn't come to the majors until he was like 25. Is Aaron Judge going to get the captaincy? Probably is. This story was growing legs because people were saying in his camp that he was unsure, but he was sure it was between two teams. It was between the Yankees and the Giants. But I now believe that he had no thought in his mind that he was going to San Francisco if the Yankees could match what San Francisco was offering him by the years. He had no reason to leave the Yankees. The Yankees are his team. He grew up with the Yankees. A lot of these players love him And you see what Anthony Rizzo said about Aaron Judge's contract He says, there's not many people that bet on themselves Aaron bet on himself and almost won a triple crown this year If there's anybody that deserves it it's him. Now, Anthony Rizzo and him grew very close. So was Giancarlo Stan. Giancarlo Stan has become his best friend. Now, they have to find a way to win a championship, but I don't know if Aaron Judge is the guy. So far the last two years, he hasn't been. You can't tell me that you're hitting two eleven for the full playoffs and tell me that you're going to be the major piece that's going to help us bring a championship home. I am not going to complain about it. He is a Yankee. He wants to be with the Yankees. He just wanted to get his money and get his years. Jacob DeGrom didn't want to be a Mets. And the Mets didn't want to match anything that was offered by the Texas Rangers. I've heard from med fans, a.k.a. Josh Silverberg, he never wanted to be here. Jacob DeGrom never hung out in the dugout with anybody. He didn't really speak to a lot of people. He really didn't have a close relationship with Max Scherzer or anybody on that pitching staff. It hasn't been the same since the Dark Knight left and Max, Noah Syndergaard, which was his best friend. You look at the Yankees, the Yankees are in a good position now. If they can get Rodon and maybe an- another relief pitcher, Brian Cashman finds a hidden gem in free agency and brings him in for a Year and he turns out to be a good player. I don't think they're bringing back Andrew Benattendi if they get Rodon. Benetendi's going to be asking for at least $100 million. And if they're giving Rodon 30 for six, 180. that's 180. There's no way they're going to have the money. The Yankees have a farm system. They have Dominguez, who could be up by the end of this year and playing center field, switch-hitting center fielder with a lot of power. Aaron will play right field for the rest of his career before they move him to DH, and Giancarlo will be over there and left until he retires. Maybe they move Cabrera over there. Could play multiple positions, and the Yankees have a decent farm system where they can go into their farm system and find players. Yeah, he played four of them last year. Both corner outfield yep. spots, second and short.
2: So he's definitely capable of it. As far as the relief pitchers, I don't think Brian Cashman wants to go down that road again. They already had the, too many of the bad contracts before. So I think they just want to do it in-house. They want to do it with their young pitchers. They evolved Clark Schmidt and a reliever nicely. Albert Breu, before he got hurt, was pitching well out of the bullpen. Michael King was fantastic before he got hurt. Former starter in that system. As far as judge, yeah, a lot of years. It's definitely a lot of risk. So the Yankees are going to have to manage that. Whether it means not playing him in center field as much, maybe Dominguez once he comes up, takes over that job full time if he could hit at the major league level right away, which would be a great thing so Judge can stay in right and can DH because Stanton's going to DH as long as he's there. $40 million a year surpasses Mike Trout for the highest average annual value for a hitter. I'm surprised the Yankees for that many years and that average annual value was able to do it because Brian Cash has been reluctant to give those longer deals besides Garrett Cole recently. The Stanton deal was inherited from the Marlins. I thought he was going to go to the Giants too, but the Yankees are going to have to make it I think work. I Brian
1: now. Cashman was trying to save his job and that was the way he saved his job for the He wants the fans to leave him alone. He just got an extension to 2026. I love it. Brian Cashman is the best GM in baseball. And for any Yankee fan to sit here and complain about that just shows you how stupid you really are. You have the best GM in baseball. And maybe he's been dry when it comes to winning championships since 2009. It's not easy to win World Series. Look, Philadelphia went to a World Series this year for the first time since 2009. (laughs) Brian Cashman is a good GM. He knows what he's doing. He's going to rebuild this team. They believe in Brian Cashman. If they land Rodon, they already have the best pitching staff in baseball. You add Rodon, a power lefty the Yankees have been craving, you have Frankie Montez coming back. And I do not believe he was 100% healthy when he came to the Yankees, especially with his family member dying. His head wasn't in it. He is going to be a different pitcher. Could you imagine that pitching staff? Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon. You have Frankie Montaz, Luis Severino, Herman, and Cortez. Cortez was the Yankees' best pitcher last year, I believe, in the regular season. Who's going to beat the Yankees? Even Houston is going to have problems against the Yankees. Now, the Yankees have to figure out how to hit in the playoffs. That's been right. the problem for the Yankees, even with the dominant pitchers. And the Yankees have been pretty good pitching teams in the playoffs the last couple of years. It's really their lineup that hasn't been hitting. So they have to find a guy that can hit for average, and he's not going to be too expensive. But then there's the Mets who decided to part ways with Jacob deGrom. Maybe Jacob didn't want to have a counter offer by the Mets. Maybe he didn't want to be a Met. Why didn't he want to be a Met? Why would Jacob deGrom, who's one of the most quietest guys, doesn't really say anything. He just goes on the field and does what he does. Why is he the one that doesn't want to go into the clubhouse? He doesn't want to hang out with anybody. He doesn't want to befriend anybody. Maybe because the Mets slapped Jacob DeGrom in the face when they gave Max Scherzer last year the contract that he got when he's a better pitcher than Max Scherzer and younger. And then, hearing stories that they were interested in Rodon, they were interested in Verlander, instead of trying to seal the deal before the season ended with their pitcher, Jacob DeGrom, they decided to say, you know, we'll wait until free agency, and then we'll try to negotiate a deal. And what happens? They lose him! He goes to Texas, and who knows what he's going to do in Texas. He might suck. I don't think he's going to suck, but that team's going to suck, but at least they'll give him runs, and maybe he wins a Cy Younger two. Congratulations. You'll get two runs of support per game in comparison to the Mets giving you one. That doesn't help the Mets, because they bring in Justin Verlander yes he won a Cy Young last year he's won a couple of Cy Youngs good for him it was the American League in a very poor division Texas stinks the Angels stink Seattle's getting better a team to be reckoned with this year but watch they're gonna collapse this year who do they have to beat Oakland Oakland hasn't been a good playoff team forever they make the playoffs almost every single year except last year and now they traded everything again so they have to start over once again Moneyball mania baby and the
2: Mets could have had Carlos Rodon they projected an offer from the Yankees of six years $30 million the Mets could have had him for that a young more controllable pitcher that'll give you longevity he had some injury issues earlier in his career but he's been healthy the last three years the Mets could have had that at $30 million and still gotten more depth which they lack the Mets lost seven pitchers in the offseason but no they went for the flat actually moving Justin Verlander. That's boy. two years
1: of Justin Verlander <laughs> two and two more years for Max Scherzer. Two guys that played in Detroit together and they were dominant, but they were in the primes of their careers. Now they're at the tail end of their careers. They are injury prone. The Mets have no depth in that rotation. They've always had depth over the years. That was their strength. They have lost a tremendous amount of pieces and Jacob DeGrom was really the final straw that helped that team go to the World Series in 2015. And now all of a sudden they have to start over. There is nobody there besides Pete Alonso that is homegrown, and Nimble. If they got Rodon instead of
2: Verlander, that's $13 million more on average annual value per year. You could have probably brought in one more starter and a couple more relievers. Yeah, I know they traded for one. I like the trade they made with Tampa for Brooks-Raley. Meanwhile, now you're at Justin Verlander, $43 million a year. You're already close to the luxury tax as it is. You're going to really have to go dart-throwing with the rest of these relievers and starting depth. They're going to have to trust McGill and Peterson to be full-time starters. McGill pitched well before he got hurt last year. Fine. I like Peterson, but still, they're better as versatile guys. You don't want to have to really just make it stuck on that, and that's a big problem Mets are going to have. Their hitting, I think, is pretty good. They need pitching depth, and I hope they can get it somewhere else because Verlander's getting a
1: lot of money. Kate Upton, Justin Verlander's wife, supermodel, Sports Illustrated supermodel, loves the fact that the Mets overpaid Justin Verlander for two years because now they set themselves up even better as he retires and moves on with his career. Two years, $86.6 million is ridiculous. To a 40-year-old guy, doesn't make any sense if you're a Mets fan. And again, the Yankees are the favorites to land Carlos Rodon. I think it's a great move by the Yankees. It could put the Yankees right where they want to be. The team to beat again this year, especially in the American League, which is the hardest division in baseball. And if they add Carlos Rodon and didn't lose Aaron Judge, they're in position to be a dominant force in the American League. When we come back, we will be talking to CBS Sports and 24-7 Sports Editorial Director Adam Silverstein here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host... P.D. P.D. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Go check out our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out our show in the middle of the week. Live, you can call our show, interact with us, and see our wonderful guests that we have on our show throughout the week. Sports loudmouths on Wednesday at 7 p.m or on Thursday at 9 p.m. They're three-hour shows. It's fantastic, it's funny, and it's sports. You're going to love it. Now our special guest, a very smart guy when it comes to college football, not so much in baseball. Just kidding, Adam. We are now talking to CBS Sports and 24-7 Sports Editorial Director, Adam Silverstein! Adam, what's up, man? Hey, not much. Thanks, guys, for having me. Very happy to have you on. How are you and your family doing? Happy holidays. How was your Thanksgiving? I appreciate it. Down here in South Florida, we're all New York
3: transplants down here. I grew up here my entire life. Normally good holiday season. I'm very heavily involved in the college football world, so we just went through conference championship games, and and we're kind of moving into bowl season, so it went from hectic to slightly more relaxing, so things are going well.
1: I hear you're a Yankee fan. How did you like that contract? Yankees giving Aaron Judge the nine-year 360 million dollar contract I was one of those guys that did not think he was going back to the Yankees not going home to the Bay Area and staying with the New York Yankees and being the face of the New York Yankees first of all we gotta shout him out greatest contract year in sports history Mm -hmm. for me it was always the Giants felt
3: like a little bit of a red herring something that he was kind of teasing with for negotiation reasons ultimately he wanted to go back to New York the number is one thing you know 360 million dollars but that 360 million even though you're gonna eat plenty of taxes in New York City the value that comes with being a member of the New York Yankees organization especially as you get into your later years which unfortunately he's not that far off from there's greater value beyond what the actual numbers in the contract are as far as the Yankees you're signing judge for one reason and that's to win a World Series you believe that he can be the centerpiece of your franchise and you can put enough people around him enough pieces around him to make yourself a World Series team the problem is Yankees haven't done that in 13 years Mm -hmm. and they just re-signed the guy who's orchestrated put those teams together for four more years I'm much more concerned about giving Brian cashman a four-year extension than i am giving aaron judge 40 million dollars a year is it a lot of money it's a lot of money i'll worry about it six years down the line when they try to figure out what the hell they're going to do with the last 120 million over those final three
1: years. adam they've been torturing brian cashman for the last couple of years he's done nothing but win now i haven't won a championship for 13 years since 2009 it's not easy to win world series being that you're in the american league you're in the american league east you're playing the blue jays about 16 times a year you're playing the red Sox, the Tampa Bay rays and then the orioles are getting better. This is the hardest division in baseball. Brian Cashman is a winner. He was a guy that George Steinbrenner hand-picked. Now everybody says the game has gone past him. I don't believe that. Derek Jeter said that the game has not passed him. The game has transcended through him. Brian Cashman was the one that really transitioned the bullpen. Eight or nine guys in the bullpen. And that's what has built the Mariano Rivera's of the world, the Wetland, Nelson's, and Stanton's, and all the guys that have been in the bullpen for years. And now even with the bullpen, which was hurt in the second half of the season, this was the number 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 one, bullpen in all of baseball wasn't even close. And then in the second half, they were dealing with injuries and they fell apart. And you saw that in the playoffs. I want to know your take on why you think Brian Cashman shouldn't have gotten an extension for four years.
3: Well, a lot of what you gave as proof of Cashman succeeding was eight years ago at this point. And it really becomes a question of what have you done for me lately? They claim to have built this fantastic analytics department, but they can't win two games against the Astros when it actually matters. They claim that they have all these correct pieces within their scouting organization. And yet, when it comes to the trade deadline, Brian Cashman can't figure out the right pieces to add to the team to actually make them a World Series contender. Do I think Brian Cashman shouldn't work in baseball anymore? No. But at some point, when your tenure with a team stops becoming fruitful, you don't have the same level of success that you used to, it may be best for all parties to switch. And you have to look at what was Cashman doing under George and what's Cashman doing now under Hal? Look, the Yankees still spend a ton of money, but there's still restrictions that Hal is putting on him from a budgetary standpoint that are not allowing him to perhaps do some of the things that he's done best in the past. So I appreciate everything that Brian Cashman has done for the organization, but I haven't seen the fruits of that labor recently, and it's been a very long period of time. A couple of years, you're not getting to the ALCS. It's been 13 years since they have not been back to the World Series, and in many of those seasons, you could never really say, they're the favorites to go this year. Oh, they just slipped up. They lost in seven games in the ALCS. They got blown out by the Astros this year, and it's happened before. So that's where we get to the point where we say, Brian Cashman, thanks a lot. It's been great. We need to go in a different
2: direction. So the judge contract, nine years, longer than expected for a guy who's 31. Are you surprised that the Yankees match that off with the Giants restrictions, you said. Is that the exception to that? It seems to be. And and the question is, does that now hamstring them going forward? They say, okay, we're going to spend the money on
3: Judge but now you don't have this 30 million that you were otherwise going to get to spend on these players. I think the Yankees had to re-sign Judge. Judge had to re-sign with the Yankees. I believe it was always going to happen. He and his agent just played it perfectly. He got the years he wanted. He got the money he wanted. Now it's how do you make it work? Do I think it was a little bit too much? Yeah, but I think all of these contracts are too much. Like Justin Verlander getting $43 million a year. All these other guys getting massive contracts for a sport that the money must still be there and the TV rights, I guess, keep going up because live sports is the one thing that still generates. The Revenue through television, but you look at these contracts and the way they balloon year after year. If you're going to give forty million dollars a year to anyone, it's a guy who came five points within a triple crown, and he has the ability to maybe not perform at that same level for the next nine years, but probably for the next four or five. That's the guy you give that kind of contract
1: to. We are talking to CBS Sports and 24/7 Sports editorial director Adam Silverstein. The Yankees are still in it for Rendon. They're the favorites of getting him. He grew up a pinstripe fan. I don't know if that's going to sell to him the Yankees wanted five years 36 million instead of six or seven I do believe he's going to get close to six seven years this is a power lefty they're hard to find and lefties usually last longer than righties when you look at the Yankees as a whole they're probably going to have to keep Donaldson because he was horrible last year and nobody's going to want that contract for another year the guy that really stands out that you can trade him where he could be worth something is Glaber Torres and Glaber Torres did not look good in the playoffs good playoff hitter his whole career but in the ALCS when the Yankees need Needed him the most, and the Yankees got the lead game four. He absolutely choked, and he made a lot of mistakes, defensive errors. This guy went from shortstop to second baseman. He doesn't know his position, just like Gary Sanchez doesn't know his position. What do the Yankees do? Do they trade him? They've got Pariza, they got Volpe coming up, they have Cabrera that can play multiple positions. They have a bunch, a slew of great young players. Do they trade Gleyber Torres this offseason?
3: I think it happens either this offseason or at some point in the season before the trade deadline. You're at a position where you're the Yankees, where you're simultaneously trying to justify this judge contract and say, we're trying to win now yet you have those two prospects and you're like we got to get them up to the roster and we got to get them playing on the field second base shortstop you can move guys around those guys are talented enough where they can figure it out at one of those positions i think you probably say let's go into the season with him if he starts hot then maybe a couple teams are interested we sprinkle them out there and we try to bring these guys up they have to fix basically the entire left side of their infield and their outfield they need a left fielder they need third, short, and they need pitching. And I don't know that they're going to be able to get all of it in the off season. So I focus on the pitcher. I get a batter. I re-sign a couple guys, Benintendi, maybe. And then I look to trade him during the season.
2: I don't know that there's enough interest right now. They're right now the favorites for Carlos Rodon. Do you see that kind of thing being realistic with the Yankees right at the brink of the luxury tax? Or do you see maybe a trade more likely, like with the Brewers pitchers? If George owned the team, I would say, of course they're getting him. But with Hal, I don't know what those conversations are
3: with Cashman. It's like, yeah, I need that. Ninth year, we got to go to 40. Your limit's here for the next free agent you want to go whether it's a donor or whether it's someone else but if they want to win and some of the moves they've made over the last couple of years they aren't necessarily taking the steps that they would have under George to go out and win a world series if they want to do that and they want to say hey we signed judge we're going
1: all in then you sign them one way or another, I think the Yankees are going to get him. He's seeking a six-year deal. A lot of people are saying the Yankees are the favorites of getting him. There's a lot of smoke. Yeah, yes, and sure. usually when you hear that, it means more than likely that could happen. Except
3: there... for Arson Judge and the Giants. Now, <laughs> the
1: Rangers got Jacob DeGrom. A lot of Mets fans were very upset about this. Now, I'm hearing that they're also in on Carlos Rondon. If this happens, are they a contender this year? With Simeon, who didn't have a good season last year, they added their star shortstop, and now you add Jacob DeGrom and now Carlos Rondon. You have a pretty good one-two punch, good pitching staff, they could be contender in a division that only has one team, the Astros. Everybody keeps saying Seattle. Seattle has to prove it two years in a row. Mm. I know everybody loves this Castillo kid, but two years ago, in Cincinnati, he was horrible. He had a great year when he was traded to Seattle. We'll see what he does with this new contract. Where do you see this
3: American League going? I like Houston. Probably need to come in as the favorites. Regarding the Rangers, they were 35-ish games back of the Astros last year and having to play them that frequently. You want to talk about the ALE, I'm not saying the West is comparable historically, but you have Houston at the top of the division. You have Seattle sitting there. How much better are the Rangers going to get in a win-loss situation? Mm -hmm. Adding those names and hoping they all come together in the same year. You even look at the Yankees, you add A-Rod to the team. You don't win in year one. It takes a while to kind of get all those pieces together, figure out how you want to build your lineup, build your rotation. I do think the Rangers have an opportunity to make drastic improvements, as
1: they should, given the names that they added. Are they going to be a contender right away? Probably not let's get into college football. The championship games were very surprising. TCU loses a game Mm -hmm. where a lot of people thought they should have won against Kansas State. Lucky, even though losing one game, they were undefeated all season long. They beat three top 15 programs, and that's probably why they're in this fourteen playoff. (laughs) And then USC, who I believe has the Heisman Trophy winning Caleb Williams, who played on one leg in the second half of the game. What an unbelievable showing for him, and it only Mm -hmm. helps him next year if he can win back-to-back Heismans, and he'll be the number one pick next year, no question. USC falls out, they lose, and then you have Ohio State. Somehow they sneak in, and Mm -hmm. they have a very good chance right now to go into this game against Georgia. Everybody has Georgia winning it. They're the head favorite to winning the whole thing. Do you think Ohio State deserves to be their one? And two, do you think they can compete with Georgia and beat Georgia? in a big game.
3: Do they deserve to be there? Absolutely, they do. When you look at the way the college football season unfolded, there were three undefeated teams all the way until the last week of the season. Two of them remained undefeated, so you have Georgia and Michigan. They're in the playoff, no question. TCU is the third they lost in overtime by three. You have this quarterback, Max Duggan, who anyone who watched that game knows that guy spilled his guts out on the field. No air left in his body, and you're on the goal line, and he doesn't touch the ball. They should be undefeated, but they go into that game with as good a season almost as anyone else. The only Another one loss team in FBS football is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Their only loss is to the number two team in the country, Michigan. So do they deserve to get in? They absolutely do. Ohio State entered the season for many. They were the favorites to win it all. They had an absolutely incredible wide receiver room, a great running back room, a player who many thought could be the Heisman Trophy winner in CJ Stroud, definitely a finalist and well deserving. He had a fantastic season. But now as this year kind of progressed, they lost their number one receiver. They lost their number one running back and They're still electric offensively, but we saw some of those holes, especially on the defensive end of the field, up against Michigan so do they deserve to get in yes can they beat georgia it's going to be tough georgia is defending national champions coming into this still have a stellar defense despite losing 15 players off their (laughs) national championship team last year most of them on the defensive side of the ball a ton of them in the first round stetson bennett people like to clown on this guy It's a walk-on he only got the starting job because other people got injured meanwhile he won a national championship last year and the guy's slinging it like all hell this year so georgia deserves to be the favorite they deserve to be the number one seed ohio state is a live dog in that game they absolutely absolutely can beat Georgia. Am I going to predict it? Probably not. That is flip
2: phone legend Stetson Bennett. Oh. He switched. I think he got an iPhone.
1: He oh. was <laughs> carrying around a bottle of Don Juan, two thousand dollar bottle of champagne when he won a championship. I like the kid, and a lot of people say that football is not even in his background. He doesn't even see himself playing football in the NFL. He's a scholar, yep. educated guy. I read he wants to be a lawyer. Speaking of Stetson Bennett, a
2: lot of people, including myself, were surprised that he was the last of the Heisman finalists with Doug and Stroud and mm-hmm. Caleb Williams. I thought mm-hmm. Hedden Hooker should have got that spot. Do you think that way too? And also, do you think that there were maybe some non-quarterbacks that could have gotten some nominees?
3: I don't know what Blake Corum of Michigan had to do. What else did you need from this guy? Except he ran over every single team that he faced until he got hurt and couldn't do it anymore. So I'm not saying it's impossible for another position to win. Devonta Smith, right, a couple years ago, yeah, wide receiver won. Running backs can certainly win the award, but it, number one, has become an offensive playmaker award. If you're not an offensive playmaker, you're not going to get a shot to win. But it's really become a quarterback award more than anything else. So I was shocked that Corum wasn't there, candidly. Hendon hooker more deserving than stetson bennett just given what he had put on film over the course of that entire year there is something to be said though for finishing out the year and leading your team to a completely undefeated season and an sec championship and that is what stetson bennett did so he's not undeserving of being there it's just i really would have liked to have seen quorum in particular but Hendon Hooker there as well, for sure.
1: Who do you think wins the Heisman Trophy?
3: You nailed it earlier, Caleb Williams. You saw it, those last three games that he put together at UCLA, against Notre Dame, against Utah. In that first quarter, I think three touchdowns, he had that crazy-ass run, the run where he pulled his hamstring, and then over the remainder of the game, did he suck? Yeah, he was playing on one leg. What do you want this guy to do? He was still out there gutting it out. That's the definition of what that award is. It's putting it all on the line, Mm. and Max Duggan did too in in the Big 12 Championship game. He was incredible, but Caleb Williams, He's been doing it all year. And if you actually look at like his game log and you see how did he play against the best opponents that he faced Utah early in the season, I think he had five touchdowns. Those final three games I just mentioned, he had 11 touchdowns and one interception. He's your best player of the year. He's the Heisman
2: Trophy winner, and he's the number one overall pick next year. I definitely lose that game because I hate it. was a 43 42. It game. wasn't him. The coaching carousel. Matt Rule got a big contract at Nebraska. Hugh Freeze, mm-hmm. a very controversial one. And then Deion Sanders recently, too.
3: So How do you like that Matt Rule contract? It's a lot of money, but Nebraska, it's a legendary all time college football program that has been anything but on the field for a <laughs> long time. And they hired the one guy who has proven at multiple stops that he can turn around college football programs. If you're going to do it, you need to go all in, not just with the head coach contract, with the assistant salary pool, your NIL, all that type of stuff. So I think it was the perfect hire for Nebraska. There's no salary cap in college football, especially for coaches. You do what you need to do to get that guy. He now has NFL bona fides as well. He wasn't good in the league. I mean, he was arguably the worst coach in the league, but he has the bona fides of having coach there and knowing what it takes to get to the NFL. You do whatever you can to hire Matt Rule. They did, and I think it's going to work out for Nebraska.
1: Deion Sanders, Colorado. Another program
3: in Colorado, that has that extended history, just hasn't been able to realize it in the present for numerous reasons, university reasons, monetary reasons, with the football program and and how much investment the university puts into it. Someone, maybe it was a booster, decided, I'm sick of this. We want to have winning football again. Now we're going to go after the splashiest name that we can get. Is it the best coach they can get? Time's going to tell. Certainly what he's done at Jackson State has been incredibly impressive, raising the profile, not just of that program, but HBCUs in totality. He's delivered basically on every single promise that he made for Jackson State. Is it going to work at Colorado and at a power five? I don't know, but super entertained by it. So I'm ready to see it. At worst, Colorado is going to get a lot of really talented kids on its roster. There's going to be a number of really high quality assistant coaches that join that program because they're going to get paid really well. And if Dion doesn't work out as a head coach or if something happens, if they make that change, they have a stacked roster and some pretty good assistants that they can probably pull from. But I do think Colorado it has been a morbid program. It just hasn't figured out a way to win in this modern era of college football. And in college football, it all All starts, the number one asset is talent. Talent acquisition. It's the one thing that Deion Sanders absolutely, without question, can do. So, is he the right man for the job? Yes. Is it going to work? I just don't know if it's going to work. They are more than anywhere else. I'm much more confident in like Nebraska than I am Colorado. How so about the sure. Badgers? Does Fickle change that program? Wisconsin, they're just in that really interesting spot in the Big Ten, and divisions may go away soon, but they're able to dominate that West Division just by the investment in the program, the talent that they get, and bringing in a coach like Luke Fickle, who is made to coach in the Big Ten and certainly has always wanted. To be a head coach in the Big Ten, it's the right move to take a program that goes up and down pretty consistently and hasn't been able to keep a strong level of performance since Brett Bielema left for Arkansas. To bring in someone like Fickle, they're bringing in like that equivalent, that Big Ten guy who may not win in year one, it may take a couple, but I do think he's going to get them to where they need to be. It's also really smart for them to go after Fickle now. We don't know what's going to happen with Ohio State if they happen to lose to Michigan again next year. Like if if they lose in the playoff semi, especially if it's Then they lose to Michigan next year. There's a chance that they fire Ryan Day. The Ohio State fan base is not going to accept losing to Michigan three years in a row, not winning Big Ten titles, and not getting in or winning college football playoffs. If they did that and Luke Fickle was still at Cincinnati, they would have immediately gone after Luke Fickle. Now that he's in Wisconsin, that becomes a lot more difficult, and I would assume the buyout is crazy. So Wisconsin struck. They got the guy that Ohio State probably would have gotten. And it
2: should work out pretty well. for them. The NFL now, we saw two quarterbacks get hurt this past week. Jimmy G, not a season-ending injury. He might come back maybe in the second round of the playoffs. And then Lamar Jackson. So what are your thoughts on the injury impact for those two teams, both contending teams? Brock Purdy, I'm a Dolphins supporter.
3: I live in South Florida. So I was on the losing end of that game. And I saw what Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy did to a Dolphins defense that isn't great by any means, but isn't bad. Relatively tore him apart. So I think San Francisco, plus the way they run their offense through the running game and they use Debo so creatively. They have Christian McCaffrey. They have so many great pieces from a playmaking standpoint, George Kittle, that if you need to bring in a different quarterback, whether it's for four weeks, apparently Garoppolo can come back in seven or eight weeks. Who knows if San Francisco will even be playing. But if you need someone to come in and manage a game and you have those pieces with a creative coach like Kyle Shanahan leading the charge, then I liked what I saw from Brock Purdy. Dolphins probably didn't watch any film on him, but still, I liked what he did. Ravens and Tyler Huntley stepping in for Lamar Jackson. Lamar's been falling off the last like six weeks. He's just not getting it done and their offense seems to be stuck in a rut. So, bringing Tyler Huntley in certainly isn't going to make it any better. I don't think it's really going to make it that much worse. The Ravens prospects in the playoffs or doing anything this year, whether it's with Lamar, whether it's with Huntley, I don't know that they're that great. San Francisco, I think they're going to be okay. I don't think Purdy's going to suddenly steal the job from Jimmy G, but he proved capable in his one opportunity so far. They have those other pieces where you say, "Hey, how big of a deal is it with their
1: defense being as great as it is and those playmakers? Purdy can win a lot of games with them. The Jets been a talk of the town. Ever since, Mr. I'm going to be taking receipts spoke out, this team has figured out how to win. This defense has been one of the elite defenses in the league. Offensively, it didn't work out for Zach Wilson. The Jets should have him as the backup. He should not be sitting on the bench because it makes him look bad. It makes the organization look bad. And Flacco, the old man that he is, he should be sitting on the bench and being the quarterback somewhat coach. Mike White's looked really, really good in both those games. He's heading to Buffalo. The last time we saw Mike White play Buffalo four interceptions is Is Mike White the guy moving forward? Is this guy going to help this team make the playoffs this year a year faster than they thought they were going to be? It was next year where everybody thought they were going to contend and be as dominant as they were this year in certain aspects. I think next year they're going to be even better. They're going to be scary good next year. So where are the Jets? Are they in the middle of the pack? Do they make the playoffs? Are they for real? Shout out to Robert Sala.
3: Done a great job turning this program around. Great
1: coach, yes. He's doing a great job as a head coach. Great job as a
3: defensive leader. I know he has a coordinator, but he still really leads that defense. And also just the general manager and the entire talent organization picking the guys they picked, being able to get Sauce Gardner and Brees Hall, that's incredible. Garrett Wilson, all in one draft, to be able to get that, it's absolutely incredible. And I hate to say that as a Dolphin supporter. Uh, regarding your actual question with Mike White, Zach Wilson's done. I do agree he should be the backup because you never know what kind of internal motivation might there be. That guy standing on the sideline, seeing Mike White starting for the team instead of him. Mike White gets hurt, he has to come out because of concussion concerns, whatever the case might be. You throw him in, maybe it lights a fire under his ass. You have to give him that kind of opportunity, like a last. Last ditch type of situation to say, hey, we're not going to completely give up on this guy yet because Joe Flacco being in that spot isn't doing you any good. And I don't necessarily think Joe Flacco is about to go out and do better than Zach Wilson would be and and take you to the playoffs or anything. Regarding Mike White himself, he's a backup quarterback Mm -hmm. in the NFL. He's not a starter. The Jets have a lot of great pieces. Their number one concern going into 2024 is finding a starting quarterback, whether that's through trade, free agency, or the draft, they need to do that. Mike White, can he get them to the playoffs this year? He has that dog in him, right? He's not scared to throw the ball down. Down the field and try to make some plays. However, in some games, that leads to 325 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. And in others, it leads to 300 yards and four interceptions. You're not going to win against quality teams if you have a guy that's going to make mistakes to that level. I think we have six games of evidence, and it's yeah. a mixed bag. Two really good games, for games that look like a backup NFL quarterback.
1: I think it's three and three. That's fair. Even last game against Minnesota, the Jets should have won that game. It was just bad play calling. I do not like Michael Floor. He has made a a tremendous amount of mistakes. How many times were they in the red zone against Minnesota and they were on the doorstep to put the ball in the end zone and they couldn't do it. They're on the one yard line and they decide to throw it three times. It reminds me of one guy, the same guy that he worked under, Kyle Shanahan. Didn't win as the offensive coordinator for Atlanta. Thank you to the Patriots. And then True. did the same thing against Kansas City in the Super Bowl when they were up by 10 with six minutes left against the Kansas City Chiefs. He stopped running the ball, his strength. The same thing with Mike LaFle. What is With these guys,
3: it doesn't make any sense. And it's not just NFL, it's college TCU, Sonny Dykes, CBS Sports, Coach of the Year. Everyone's giving him huge praise. Max Duggan dominating the entire game. They get to the goal line in overtime. They have four plays. This guy who is a running quarterback, what's the most successful play? Quarterback quarterback it converts all the time. They're on the one or two. He didn't touch it at all. Do a bootleg, maybe throw it, anything. They didn't give it to him. So you can be the greatest coach. And it's NFL and it's college. It doesn't matter. You can be the greatest coach makes genius play calls all the time. And yet you do things like that. You do the Pete Carroll where you throw <laughs> on the goal line for some reason, even though you have more Lynch, the best running back in football that year.
1: You have a six foot five quarterback that all he had to do was reach over the defensive line, and you decide to throw the ball three times. If I was Robert Sala, I'd kick down my desk. I'd have Mike LaFour in that room, and I'd sit him down like a little baby and say, I'm going to send you with your pampers back to your brother. Figure this out. We're better than this. We should have beaten Minnesota in Minnesota. We should be heading back right now to Buffalo, excited being eight and four and ready for first playoff berth since 10 years ago. It's the longest playoff drought in the whole NFL. It makes me sick to my stomach. I cannot sit and watch this offense anymore. And if they do that in Buffalo, Buffalo will eat them apart. And by the way, Von Miller's out for the season. So that's good news for the Jets. And the Dolphins. That could hurt the Buffalo Bills. I think it's going to hurt the Buffalo Bills because he has been the more dominant piece for their defense. Without him, you're depending on young players to get at mm-hmm. the quarterback. The Jets have a veteran offensive line. Urbic, Dwayne Brown, Font, McGovern. They're all veterans. So they know what to do, and they know how to pass block and protect their quarterback. So he doesn't bold well. A lot of people think that the Jets can't go into Buffalo and win. This is going to be a very close game, and Josh Allen isn't
3: 100%. The Bills, they have that level of talent and they have a great coach. Should be one of those top two or three teams in the AFC. And then Josh Allen gets into the red zone. Or there's a situation where they need to make a comeback and they're just not necessarily able to finish it off. So the Bills, I don't want to say they're fools gold. They're fools but gold. I just don't know the Bills have what it takes to go through the playoffs and get to the Super Bowl the way they're currently constructed with the way, in particular, that Josh Allen is playing. We've seen bad Josh Allen. He made a great play on Thursday night running to the sideline, unbelievable, and a crazy throw for that. It was great. It was the best red zone play he's made of the entire season. The four prior weeks. He's turned the ball over like six times in the red zone and he just keeps coughing it up. And you know how I know that? Because I bet on the Bills a lot and I lost a lot of money doing it. And they shouldn't be losing those games. You have the Chiefs, super talented. The Bengals seem to be figuring things out. I am going to shout out the Miami Dolphins. It was a hiccup Mm -hmm. against the 49ers, but they've been playing incredibly. I think they're built really to take down the Bills. They do a lot of things that the Bills aren't really able to defend. And with Von Miller out, having Eric Fisher that they just signed and Taron Amstead, if he gets healthy, having those two veteran guys, all of a sudden the Dolphins look like a potential winner of the AFC east and the jets are right there too so the way the end of the season transpires i don't necessarily think it's going to be the dolphins and jets with the bills falling off but i do think that the jets have a chance to
2: win any game that all three teams are making the playoffs
3: the issues that they have are eric Fisher very a good awesome.
2: signing because he's got a lot of yeah. experience too with the chiefs i could definitely i couldn't even believe he was available yeah.
3: i was very excited about yeah that.
2: he had a bad year last year with the colts so nobody wanted to sign him and miami gave him a shot after that they're in dire straits Who's more i was motivated I was, I was very one. concerned with their offensive line at the beginning of the season i didn't think the dolphins would make the playoffs i had them under 500 oh. and their offensive Listen, line there was no
3: no expectations of anything yeah. for me to start the season. <laughs> it's very interesting to be a Dolphin supporter here in South Florida, a team that has not given us hope for an extended period of time. We had the Wildcat year, and that was cool, but yeah, you want to talk about Fool's Gold, that was Fool's Gold. <laughs> we've had a couple players here and there that you can get excited about, but the whole thing hasn't really come together. I think this is the first time the Dolphins have the quarterback and the coach. Okay. Mike McDaniel is that dude, and I think everyone's just super excited what the potential is for this team. There were no expectations to do much of anything this year. They almost seem like a surefire playoff team, maybe even a team that's almost certainly going to get to the second round. And then you say, what about year two with all these guys? So I'm really excited for 2024, but this year it's just cake. Every single week, seeing them perform the way they're performing, it's pretty exciting to live down here in so, South
2: Florida. So where do you rank them in the AFC right now? And do you think they can win the division now with Buffalo having all top this four teams?
3: Chiefs, probably the Bills ahead until they're not Bengals and Dolphins.
2: I don't think the Bengals are there either. I think I the know. Bengals tallow wise are there, but the Dolphins are better coaching. T3 also. tied
3: there. Bengals have the experience. The Dolphins are figuring it out. The question is, how are they going to bounce back this week? Because they lost to the 49ers, bad loss. They stayed out in California. Now they're playing the Chargers, and the talk through his entire career has been Tua versus Justin Herbert, and they got a chance now to go head-to-head on Sunday Night Football. If the Dolphins bounce back, it's going to tell you a lot about them as a franchise. I think right. they win that game by double digits. I think the Dolphins will Hope win.
1: So. I think they'll knock out the Chargers. The Chargers will be done after that because there's no way they're making the playoffs, especially when you have the Jets. You have the Patriots 6-6, six and six, and I can't see the Patriots losing back-to-back games. Even though the Patriots' schedule is hard. So they're to play be the Bengals, too. they the play the yep. The
3: Patriots, they got all of a sudden a reputation within the last couple of weeks before this past week against the Bills. Great defense. Bill Belichick's figured everything out. They were playing nobodies. Mm-hmm. They were beating up on children. Now they're facing a meaty schedule starting with the Bills. And you saw what happened. They got they exposed on yeah, I don't they think they they the
1: Patriots are They would have never Bears. beaten the Jets if they had a quality quarterback throwing the ball. If they had Mike White throwing the ball in that game. And I feel bad for Zach because I think the Jets haven't done him right. They didn't put the right offensive coordinator. I would have reached out to Kurt Warner. I would have reached out to one of these ex-quarterbacks, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and said, come on the sidelines. Help our young kid figure things out in his second year. We need this kid to figure it out. And he just can't. He can't comprehend. And maybe it's his ADD. It's too hard to understand, which I've heard about Kyle. Shanahan's offense. So many moving pieces. It's not like what he did in BYU. Spread the offense and throw the ball down the field. He played crap in BYU. He didn't play in a top-end division like Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. I don't think the Jets are giving up on him. It would make them look really bad as an organization if they do, even though they're winning and they have the team to build around. I believe even if they make the playoffs with Mike White, Mike White is a free agent. Somebody's going to bring him in. Bring in a veteran guy, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, that can help this kid sit him on the bench for the next two or three years. He's young enough. Everybody is reading his first read. This team is good enough to be a top three team in the AFC. If Zach Wilson could actually figure things out, use your legs. Look down the field. You got players that can move and then you have to hold the ball seven seconds to make a play? I'm even smart enough to say there's a check down right over there. You can't even throw a short pass because you're too jittery. Sniff some cocaine. Last Lawrence Taylor (laughs) for an eight ball. Watching this team gives me a hajita. Mike LaFleur, get your head out of your ass. Take your head out of your brother's ass. You're finding out what Matt LaFleur is as a head coach. Aaron Rodgers don't have weapons to throw at. You're depending too much on Aaron. You're a terrible coach and you're not going to win. Robert Sala is actually a really good coach. We really appreciate you joining us. Got to experience a (laughs) lot. You can see my feelings about this team.
3: What you just said about the Jets, I have said, in rants, watching Dolphins games for the last 10-15 years. Jets fans and Dolphins fans, we hate each other obviously. Good-natured rivalry, but if anyone understands each other, it's
1: us. You guys are the collective group of the Adam Gase therapy sessions. Your quarterback, if they could find a way to protect that guy, and he doesn't get hit, and they don't lie about him not having a concussion, it was a backache. (laughs) I don't know that
3: it played out the way a lot of people want to assume that it played out. What happened the following week With Teddy Bridgewater, where he was disqualified from the game for getting hit and standing up. And they said he was wobbly. There was some punishment from the NFL on that. I don't necessarily believe everything about Tua that some want to put on that situation. The Dolphins, as long as they protect Tua, there's a clear difference the way he plays when he has time and when he doesn't. And we saw he did not have time against San Francisco. I love your coach,
1: Mr. Smurf, man. It's so funny when they have the ladder that he has to climb when he gets up to the podium. And then when he stands next to his players, they tower over him. They all have to go to their knees when he's talking to them. He's a conductor, they're so small. They stand on a box. (laughs) Maestro McDaniel. Thank you so much, Adam. We really
3: appreciate you. Appreciate you guys having me. Thanks so much.
1: The great ladies and gentlemen, Adam Silverstein. Boy, oh boy, is he a Yankee fan. Aaron Judge decided to stay there. I think he's happy about that. I think a lot of Yankee fans should be happy that the face of their franchise is still there. But the amount of money the Yankees gave him for nine years is just absolutely outrageous. One of the Cashman critics you found it.
2: he's asked to trust in him now with Aaron Judge. And he he liked the deal for Aaron Judge, even though he thought it was a lot of years. So he's happy that he's back in New York, and he's happy for his Miami Dolphins as well, who are doing well. And uh, with the Bills' injuries, good knows? for them.
1: Maybe could win the AFC East. I don't want to a- hear that, Maestro McDaniel. Let's not talk about. The Miami Dolphins winning the division. Because they need the Jets help this week. If they have any chance. Yes, they do. And then the Jets have to play them at the end of the season. And that would be fun to watch. Could you imagine the Jets sweep Buffalo and Miami? That'd be crazy. And then they get swept by the Patriots. <laughs> That'd be the most biggest anomaly of like division records. Doesn't of all make time. any sense, but <laughs> that's the Jets. It never makes any sense. When we come back, a little NFL conversation as the Jets lose against the Vikings 27-22. But a fantastic game by Bam Knight. The number one running back on the New York Jets right now, Michael Carter is on his way back. You have James Robertson and losing Brees Hall for the season. They needed to find a weapon, and James Robertson wasn't working, but found it in BAM. So the Jets are very excited as the Jets lose a big game that they should have won, but Mike White will remain as the starting quarterback against the Bills in Week 14. It's a better sign knowing that they have a quarterback that can make a throw. And the New York Giants high 2020 against the Commanders and play the Eagles Week 14 as the Giants are fighting so many Injuries right now, but Dable is gluing this together with Saquon Barkley just killing everybody and Daniel Jones figuring things out later in the season. So that's a good sign for the New York Giants. So when we come back, we'll get into the Jets and the New York Giants here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co host. Speedy, Petey, remember Killer's listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio Network website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out our wonderful shows, including ours, the Sports Loudmouth, which airs every. Wednesday, and Thursday. So why don't we get into the Jets? Watching that game just gives me agita. Watching the New York Jets play football sometimes, especially when you were six times in the red zone and only have one touchdown to show for it, and that was a quarterback sneak by Mike White. Mike LaFleur absolutely bombed and made so many mistakes in the play calling, especially on the one-yard line, and he decides to throw the ball on the second down, third down, and fourth down. Throughout the week, we have been hearing so many attacks about why the Jets decided to go with Mike White and not dress Zach Wilson as the backup quarterback. How they're ruining this kid. How this kid will never get the confidence to go out there and win or even play as the starting quarterback for this organization. And maybe they're right. But you can't question a coach that is and 7-5. They should really be 9-3. Should it be the New England Patriots not once, but twice. The confidence level for the New York Jets is so very high. There was a story coming out about Garrett Wilson, how special he is, and Sauce Garner and Robert Sala said these two guys are not only special, these guys are elite. How many times have we heard that the Jets have elite players at multiple positions? Brees Hall was on his way to win Rookie of the Year. Now Garrett Wilson has a chance to win it, as he was Rookie of the Week. And you wonder what this Jet team is, and I don't think they're going to win this year. Now, I could be wrong. We've seen crazier things. Ask the Bengals. They didn't win, but they were right there in the Super Bowl.
2: 49ers, too, when they made it three years ago. They were coming off a 3-13 and season.
1: The 49ers had Jimmy Garoppolo for the Bengals, Mr. Burrow. The Jets don't have that quarterback. Now, is Mike White the next coming? I don't think so. Do I think he's competent enough to win for the Jets? Absolutely. Nick Foles want. Why couldn't he? I think he's a better player than Nick Foles. Maybe he gets hot. Maybe he takes the Jets all the way to the Super Bowl. Who knows? Do I think that's going to happen? No. I have not questioned anything Robert Solid has done all season long except the receipt thing. And I apologized because he was right. He said he was going to take receipts. He put his money on the line for this team. He believed so much of this team going into the season, he was willing to pretty much tell everybody, you guys would not be making fun of this team at the end of the season. That this team is a good team. This team is a growing team. This team is going to change their ways of winning. And he was right. That's the sign of a good coach. When a coach says something, he believes in those players, and those players go out there and do it. They are 7-5 and right now. They're in the final playoff spot. They have a chance this week to knock off the Buffalo Bills for the second time with a backup quarterback. No Von Miller. Murano's going to be there, and the Jets didn't play him the last time they saw him, and he's a very good run-stopping linebacker. Tied for the league lead in tackles for loss right now. That's with Von Miller in the lineup. He's going to have to do more. This defense is going to have to do more now that Von Miller isn't there. Are they going to trade Zach in the offseason? Do they go after Derek Carr? Do they go after Jimmy Garoppolo? Maybe they go after Lamar. I doubt it, but maybe they do. Maybe they draft a quarterback again in the second and third round. Let him sit the bench. Let him learn and decide to part ways with Zach and trade him to a team that wants him for a second and a fourth like they did with Sam. They don't trust him. For a team to have him sitting the bench when two other quarterbacks are starting over him, Streveler, who's nowhere close to the talent Zach Wilson is, Flacco's an old man, the hell is he the second guy? He was a great player when he was at his elite position. He's not anymore. He had one of the best playoff runs we've ever seen. If you're a Jet fan, you're not happy about what this coaching staff is doing to your quarterback.
2: And you nailed it earlier Michael Fleur I don't know what he's doing in that game when
1: he started calling
2: plays once they cross midfield I don't know what he's doing this is a team in the Vikings that has a secondary that's older and you're not getting these players more in motion yes Corey Davis had a nice game but he's not the receiver to be able to use in that situation Garrett Wilson did his thing tremendous rookie of the week eight catches 162 yards Elijah unbelievable. Mo- where's Elijah Moore where are these running backs that are so shifty why are they not getting involved in the receiving game yes the Vikings stopped the run why are these guys not being used as receiving backs you have to spread these guys out. The Jets' offensive line actually played very well for most of that game. The Vikings still were able to get a pass rush later in the game because they weren't worn out because they weren't running the ball. Mike LaFleur, between the balance and between the questionable play calls in the red zone, they throw a fade on second down at the end of that game. Garrett Wilson, if you want to criticize him for one thing, it was his size coming in. You're going to put him against a bigger Patrick Peterson and trust him to win a one-on-one matchup? A veteran corner, a bigger corner, is usually going to win that kind of thing. Why not put him in motion? Do a screen pass. Do a double move or something like that to get inside and get open. As far as Zach Wilson, yeah, I'm surprised too that they wouldn't dress
1: him at all. Even if they kept Flacco too, have dressed three quarterbacks. I think that's the only mistake they have done to Zach Wilson. He should okay. be the backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. If Mike White is horrible, they bring Zach Wilson in. But you have him sitting the bench. If Flacco gets hurt, you have to see Streffler. How do you do that? You're a journeyman, CFL quarterback that is a higher ranked quarterback than you are, and you were the second pick in the first round. It's a horrible move by the Jets. It makes the Jets look really, really bad as an organization. When it comes to drafting quarterbacks. Now, they're winning, and they're still in a position to make the playoffs, so the Jets are trying to do what's best for the organization, but are you going to sell to the fans after you decided to part ways for the second half of the season with your starting quarterback? Are the fans going to like to see Zach Wilson next year when he's on the field and he becomes the number one quarterback for this team again? No fan is going to want to sit there and see Zach Wilson behind the helm when we already know he lost his job to a backup quarterback, a journeyman backup quarterback that was drafted by the Cowboys in the fifth round. There's no sense in not dressing him.
2: Yeah, if you want to dress three quarterbacks, dress three quarterbacks, but let him have a chance to play if Mike White gets hurt. Or maybe he has that four interception game. That's something that could spark his confidence again if he comes into the game and does something. Yes, Mike White is going to remain the starting quarterback. As well really as she should. he should. Threw 369 yards in that yeah. game against the Vikings. Yeah, mm-hmm. he had an
1: interception on the first drive. Yeah, That's fine. And the both one, of them weren't his fault. Yeah, the second one, at the end of the game, you have to take a chance in that situation. The
2: first one was batted in the air. If Mike White does have that downfall, why not have a chance to redeem yourself that way?
1: I don't want to hear it from the Jet fans telling me he's the next coming and he's the quarterback of the future of this organization. The Jets don't think that. It's an amazing story what Mike White is doing. The Jets do not believe Mike White is the future of this organization. I don't care what Garrett Wilson is saying. They want to piss off Zach. For some reason, they hate Zach Wilson. There's something going on in that locker room that nobody is saying. They're keeping on lowdown. And I understand Robert Sala is a quiet guy. He doesn't want his players going out there and talking to the press. A things that has nothing to do with the press. I believe there will be a story that comes out if he gets traded, or when he's done and he retires, there might be a truth to this story. There's always going to be that
2: locker room presence, too. Zach Wilson comes out and says what he says, not taking responsibility, and there were guys liking the tweet, too. That has to have some kind of disruption, and the team were even making shirts for Mike White, Mm -hmm. so
1: shows how much they care about him. Giants tie 2020 against the Commanders. Play this week against the Eagles. This is a big game for both teams. Now, for the Eagles, they can actually clinch a playoff spot if they win this Mm -hmm. week. I don't remember the last on the Eagles clinched a playoff spot with five games left I haven't seen that I think it's an amazing feat a quarterback that everybody was backing up on and the Eagles Thought very highly of him, but nobody else did. With the Eagles, with multiple first-round draft picks going into this year, a lot of people believed that he, they were going to go after a quarterback. If they fell out, there is no way they're going after a quarterback. Yeah. He was a second-round draft pick. What a steal he is!
2: I remember at the time I didn't like it at that early in the draft. I thought it was going to be more like a fourth-round prospect. I'm like, all right, maybe they got an insurance policy for Carson Wentz. Maybe they're going to run some kind of
1: wildcat with him. No, he's developed into an MVP <laughs> candidate
2: this year. He's
1: been fantastic, and to me, he is the MVP. He is the best player in the league right now.
2: It's insane. What? he's done also with rushing yards and passing yards the next week. Tennessee took out the right
1: arm, accurate, can run the ball, squats 600 pounds. He's strongest quarterback in the NFL, there's no question. And he had to really figure out how he could become an elite player in the league in the offseason, and he worked, and he pounded it out. And look at the player he's turned into. It's fantastic. With the weapons that he has around him, and A.J. Brown, and Smith, and the running game, the three-headed monster they have over there, and a great offensive line. They're unstoppable, and they're going to be very hard to beat. And it's going to be very hard for the Giants over a banged up secondaries to
2: be able to contend with that receiving core, too, because they got Brown, they got Smith, they got Quest Watkins, who's a good slot receiver. Multiple pass-catching running backs. Giants with the bang-up secondary really just haven't been the same. Julian Love has to do everything. He's out of position all the time, and their pass rush has not been the same either, and it's going to be hard against this
1: Eagles offensive line, and also quarterback at Jalen Hurts that runs well, too. He
2: rushed for 125 yards and a half against the
1: Packers. And the Bills lose Von Miller for the season. Torn ACL, that bowls well for the Jets. It bowls well for the Miami Dolphins, and also the New England the Patriots. So, losing a significant defensive piece like that, there is no way they're going to be able to replace him. So, it is going to hurt their defense. They have one of the best defenses in the league, and with Von Miller, they have one of the more elite pass rushing defenses in the league, and the Jets could take advantage of it. Very interesting moving forward. So, Speedy, you ready for the three fall picks of the week? Yes. So, let's start with the
2: Minnesota Vikings at the Detroit Lions. 51 and a half the over-under for this one. This is an interesting scenario because the Lions are actually home favorites, and a lot of our betting guys will tell you not to bet that kind of thing. So I do think it'll be a close game, but I am going to take the Vikings in this spot. I'm definitely going to take the over. I think this is a high-scoring game. Lions defense, they play better in recent weeks, but they have struggled. But the Lions offense has picked it up recently, and DeAndre Swift is kind of healthy, more than he was in week three when they first played. So I'm going to take the Vikings. I think it will be
1: close. I'm going to take them on the over. Yeah, I like the Lions in this game. What we've seen over the last couple of weeks, team dominance. They're running the ball. They're throwing the ball. Brown's becoming a star. Now they have Williams coming back. Jared Goff is throwing the ball very well. The offensive line's kept him on his feet and the defense has looked a lot better. Shout out to Campbell and that coaching staff. They've been fantastic over there. I like the Lions in this game on the over. Eagles and Giants. The over-under is 45. I am a Giants
2: fan, but I am not optimistic this week. Three of the last four games teams have been able to take out Saquon, and the Eagles just took out Derrick Henry last week, so that's not a good sign for a Giants offensive line that's getting some pieces back, but it's still not 100% healthy. The secondary is all banged up, and Jalen Hurts is playing like the MVP of the league. I think this is a blowout. Give me the Eagles on the over.
1: Yeah, I like the Eagles too. The Giants I know they're at home, but I think it'll be close and I think it'll be on the under. I don't think they're going to be able to score as much. It's going to be cold. I believe that the Giants are not good enough to stick with the Eagles because the Eagles have so much talent from their offensive side to the defensive side, even special teams. One of the best special teams in the NFL. So, I like the Eagles in this game. I think the Eagles on the under. Last game, the Tampa
2: Bay Buccaneers and the San Francisco 49ers. 37 at the over-under. No Jimmy G, no problem for me. I'm going to still take the 49ers because I do like two things with this matchup, defense being number one in the- league. I like Traverius Ward in a matchup against Chris Gawad, a bigger guy with slot corner experience that could contain him enough. The Buccaneers probably without Leonard Fournette, and that offensive line looked like a mess against the Saints last week, so I think Brady's going to have a lot of trouble. And offensively, I don't think Purdy's going to have to do much. Now, the Bucks have a good track record with Christian McCaffrey, but receiving-wise, I still think they will do well, and those receivers will do the rest. So I'll take San Francisco.
1: I love San Francisco in this game. Tampa has not looked good. They squeaked by last week against a lonely Saints team. Now you're going against a team that actually can play, and you look at what Tampa. Tampa Bay has done over the last couple of weeks. They have not been impressive. Tom Brady hasn't been impressive. Tom Brady looks old. I just really, really like San Francisco in this game on the under. When we come back, we have Chaz coming on board as Moneyline Mania is coming back without the Fantastic Four here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember kill us on our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News or Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Go check out our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. We have great shows throughout the country. Our show, The Sports Loudmouth, airs Wednesdays. At 7 p.m., and Thursday at 9 p.m. It's a segment when it comes to the betting, the money line, every single thing that you want to know about betting on sports. We call this Money Line Mania.
0: This is Money Line Mania. Witches and the crew.
1: Chaz, 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 after the Fantastic Four was on last week, now it's just you, my friend. How are you?
0: I just pointed. Next, next, because those guys are good. We had Jonathan, John, and Wes. So Jonathan is the number one guy on a website. This is a website that sells picks. And then John from GMF Sports, it was a New York kid that went to Vegas, figured out how to bet good, and that's what he does. He makes his money betting, his second income, he does the contest, so he's a proxy, and he has guys that give him money for plays. And then Wes is a very astute money guy, and he falls right into the numbers with him. Wes is
1: Wes. Oh, World worldwide, worldwide Wes.
0: There's no show out there like Sports Betting Weekly where for an hour a week, we sit on the internet, pick games that are happening right now, and give you plays that are happening right now. You gave me a block of commercials. It's like three minutes long. We can about out the play we come back from the commercial it already cashed because in hockey you could say it's already a goal it's going to be two and a half goals for the third period about a boom bada bing in hockey you could score what well, the other day they scored what three times in a minute toronto well you know what when you're a sports fan you pay attention like that what happens is in soccer you can't benefit there because in soccer live action they hold your bet for 35 seconds i had at least three or four times this year where they kicked my bet out and i said Son of a... I knew it. And I go to this game and I open it and there it is. The thing that I was betting happened, you know. They don't do that in hockey. But you got to pay attention because the lines come on quick. They'll slow to adjust. Right after a goal, there'll be a period where they'll say no action. They take everything off the board, OTB, and then they come back. I always thought, or so bizarre, that the same initials that could mean off-track betting mean off-the-board.
1: Bogarts is now a padre. It doesn't make any sense. They're overpaying Tatis, $300 million. Unless they're planning to trade him, they bring in Bogarts, who is a shortstop. Are they moving? Yeah, I don't
0: know. if Does he want to play the outfield, or is he saying, I don't care? They came out with a possible starting lineup in the paper. Was in left field. DH, I think they had unknown. Thurman. Right, because
2: they lost Will Myers. Ooh.
0: God bless Will Myers, because he was one of the first guys. Part of it wasn't his. His fault. Everybody's better off in that relationship. That team you know?
1: is loaded. And now that they brought in Bogarts, how the hell are they going to pay you-know-who next year? One of the lowest
0: markets in the league in terms of San Diego. San Diego is the sixth biggest city, but it's not in terms of TV. It's not in terms of bodies, you know?
1: They just gave Bogarts almost $300 million. They gave Tatis $300 million. They have Machado $300 million, And now they're going to have to pay Soto $400 million. How the hell are they going to do that?
0: Doesn't look on paper like good business dealings
1: why don't we get into our uh, money line mania here we go what do Wes say panthers minus four cover you got any opinion on that one i don't think the panthers are going to cover this game i think seattle's gonna kill them and being that it's in seattle It's supposed to rain on Sunday. I think the advantage absolutely goes to Seattle. It's going to be slippery. It's going to be cold. It might stop raining in the middle of the game, but still, it's going to be harder to run. Kenneth Walker won't be in this game. They're still a good running team. They have those two powerhouse offensive tackles, so I expect Seattle to absolutely dominate this game offensively. I think Geno Smith will throw closer to 300 yards. He'll have two touchdown passes, maybe a run or two into the end zone. So I do not believe the Carolina Panthers cover in this game.
0: Yeah, my easy sports data shows that Carolina on the road in their last nine games in the first half has scored 10 or less. In the second half, Seattle this year in their last nine games has scored more than 13 points in eight of nine. Now, that 13 points is an important number because a lot of times the second half lines are like 22. You need somebody to get 13 and you need somebody else to get 10 if you're looking to get over 22. You know how I feel about Wes's pick? Yes. If Wes tells me to bet something, I bet it. I was doing some handicapping today and it really isn't Rockets. You got the information. I have a program that I have to put all the numbers in, and it crunches the numbers. I have one spreadsheet where I got to put in all the teams. So it's in alphabetical order, and I have to put in the number. Vegas was one. The Rams are two. Baltimore's three. And I usually go off the number because when you go to a casino, you don't say, I want the Steelers to win.
1: He wants the number on the board. It's supposed to rain in the morning on Sunday and then clear up. So it's going to be very wet. So who does that benefit? I think it's going to benefit the better running team and the team. That's played there and plays very What's well. What's your field? Man. I it's think Seattle, it. they absolutely have the advantage. And Carolina's not a good offensive team. Who's their quarterback? Sam Darnold. And what but does it, he usually you know, do? He
0: runs. I would not normally bet that game. But when either John for GMF or the aforementioned worldwide Blackhawk West give me a play, I play it. Unless I'm against it. When I'm on it and they like it too, I Are change it. Are you playing this, bet. For sure. I'm not a crazy ass better. On any given Sunday, I threw out five, so I got it down to eight games. The difference with me is I can have eight bets in one game. That's really what the beauty of Sports Betting Weekly on Thursday nights was, is that we would catch that hockey game that was going to end up being 7-5, to five, and we hop on it early. We get the first period over 1.5, right? And the next thing you know, we got the first period over 2.5, we got the next period over 3.5, and, and it's 2-2 when they go to break, on the way to being a 5-7 to seven game. You cash all those tickets. A game like this, if they hit the first half, it goes to halftime 10-10 and Carolina is getting two points. I'm going to cash that bet. I'm fine. I won't even pay attention to the other part of the game. I'll know when I look at my sportsbook account because the money will be in there. I love having tickets at the casino. I hate betting online, but I live in a state that's got it set up. It's so that's what are you going to do. I cannot believe how good the two New York teams are. I mean, I've literally been doing this for a decade and I spent most of it bashing the Jets and the Giants. Not as much the Giants, but how many years have the Jets been good in the last decade? Not a lot. Yeah, so I'm a having to deal with it, but of course, the Chargers, God bless them. Oh, well, he's cut Steven football. That's right, man. They've always been there for me. They've always been able to embarrass themselves. They shot their own quarterback in the lung. Come on, now. If you wrote that for a script for a sitcom, the writer's room wouldn't let you do it because it sounded so silly. Was it this year? He hurt his arm and they were going to give him a needle? Yep. He's a good quarterback. And then with Tyrod Taylor with his lung. The first thing I got is a trend that isn't a handicapping trend. It just jumped out of me that bet against Baltimore and take the under in the first half. If you did that all year, you make a lot of money. Because the record is incredible. Twelve games, that's 24 bets. It was like 22 and two. I'm blessed that I'm on a few radio stations, and I try whenever possible to give you guys winners, and I believe there winners are gonna give a winners. I talked to Billy Elvis, he's on Sports Rap, Lime Ohio, and him and I, when we were on the radio back in the day, we did a live show. So he's live on the air in Ohio, and I'm live on the air in San Diego, and we did a crossover, and it was like twenty four hundred miles, twenty four forty two. We called it a twenty four hundred forty-two mile crossover. So we're each other station at the same time. Well, that's a pretty cool idea. I said there's a lot of important games. What I'm finding this is, is the worst whole-
1: week of football. Cleveland and Cincinnati, Houston and Dallas, Minnesota and Detroit.
0: So I'm talking to an Ohio radio station
1: about a Cleveland-Cincinnati
0: game. It's a big deal. It'd be like if the Jets and the Giants there were are, playing. Uh,
1: Cleveland's garbage. Cincinnati could be the number two seed in the AFC if they keep winning out. They're playing a Cleveland team that has a quarterback that hasn't played in two years. It's going to take them at least a half a season uh- how, how
0: do you think the Cleveland fans feel about watching that game Thursday the night. night? They saw a quarterback get lucky. He just played quarterback like he knows how to play quarterback since he was a kid. He was in eighth grade playing quarterback. So, wait a second. He was in high school playing so quarterback.
1: So, watching the final play where he scored the touchdown, you think that wasn't lucky? No, he
0: was going to get hit. He so I got to throw the ball. I'm going to throw it to where I think it would go. And he just threw it in it He worked. threw the ball up there. Right, but he it landed in looking. the guy's chest. Yes. All I'm saying is, he wasn't even looking you give a him. him. Give him a week, you let him get in the playbook, and he'll start throwing picks. You get dropped off the plane on Tuesday, they kind of rolled him out of the door, and the plane took off again. Just dropped him off and set him on his way. As of right
1: now, he looks like he's going to be the starting quarterback next year for the Rams, because Matthew Stafford could be done.
0: What he does, you gotta love the guy in terms of the rah-rah. I don't. When it comes to being a top quarterback, he just isn't on the list.
1: He's not even in the top 32.
0: No, of course not. He got kicked out of Cleveland, then he got kicked out of Carolina, and, and he'll the, be
2: kicked the, out over there, too. How many quarterbacks have the Rams had? This is their fourth one this year. The yeah. Stafford yeah. started the year. They had Bryce Perkins and John Wolford and now Baker Wonderful Mayfield. Wonderful quarterback but class. The Raiders have now blown four 10-point leads at halftime. No team has done that since
1: 1932. <laughs> Josh the McDaniels.
0: Does that go up on his wall? Oh, I mean, it has not- to. <laughs>
1: First time in almost 100 years. Honest. Josh McDaniels should have been fired after that game. How do you lose against a quarterback that's been a journeyman? The how guy about coaching even-
0: a team that has a guy stupid enough to knock the
1: football out of the guy's hand Chaz. when he's sitting in front of a
0: guy with stripes on his shirt.
1: Chaz, shot. he wasn't even supposed to start the game. It was a game-time decision. The guy didn't even know the offense, and he beat a team coach that's had this team practice all week and know how to play against Baker Mayfield, and they still couldn't beat him. Going to the next game, I have the Giants
0: on the money line. They're winning the game against the Eagles. You remember, Wes, what he said about the Eagles?
2: They would lose two more games, and I thought right. one of
0: them would be last week, but not the case. Mo from the Mo Radio Show. He calls it the WTF money, but we call it the big wheel money. You know, the big wheel, the pretty girl. She's just gorgeous. 21. White. 5'11, you know, make and wheel, she's got legs that just don't stop. And she's in front of this wheel at the very beginning of the casino. They hardly wearing any clothes, and your choices are 1, 5, 10, 20, and 100. And there's like 100, and there's like 220s. And you spin the big
1: wheel, and then you throw Speedy, a 20 on the there. That's the closest thing Chaz is going to get by cheating on
0: his wife. Ah! If I would ever win any money on the wheel, maybe the girl would have a shot with me, but they always take my $20. When you're taking a team that is getting a touchdown, you're basically saying something's going to happen that shouldn't have happened because otherwise they wouldn't be a touchdown underdog. Do you really remember how many weeks we've talked about the Meadowlands when the Giants play at the Meadowlands the games go under the number Mm -hmm. and it's a very high number it's like 22 out of 24 data says it's going to be under so I trust the data and the only way it can go under is if it gets ugly, Philly does something stupid, a quarterback getting hurt would be the shocking to you that happens every single week in the NFL. That's a weird play for me. I
1: have a play in a pick. Miami and the LA Chargers. I would pick the over in this game, 53 and a half, two quarterbacks that are going to try to prove themselves on national TV. One quarterback has been told by everybody that he's not better than that other quarterback this year. He has been and the other quarterback has kind of fallen off and that's Justin Herbert. I expect both quarterbacks to go out there and have a great game and I believe both quarterbacks are going to throw at least three touchdowns. We
0: looked at Miami and Miami on the road. Give up a ton of points, and I'm the Chargers have me. so
1: many injuries. The defensively. Problem
0: with that game is if the Chargers stink the bed, one team scores all the points, but it's not enough points to get the over because the other team. Thinks This could end up 37 to 10. They flexed this game, didn't they?
1: Yes, they did, because they have to move the Broncos out of prime time. This game is definitely on the over. I
0: think with these two teams, that's your bet. I don't trust the Chargers to score points. Don't
1: bet on that Seattle game. He's wrong. Tennessee,
0: they were embarrassed last week. Derrick Henry
1: couldn't run the ball.
0: I looked at Tennessee, and I looked at the teams that scored points at home. These teams played at Tennessee, and they were great quarterbacks, and they all scored like 20 points, 20 points, 20 points. So I like Jacksonville team total under and I think Jacksonville is going to get whacked. Now the data shows that Jacksonville never covers against the spread. Literally 90% of the time they don't cover. Tennessee till the game against Philly made straight weeks where they won and the game went under. I would imagine if this game doesn't stay under it's because Tennessee scores more points but I don't see Jacksonville scoring many. So I'd like those team total unders about halfway through the game. It's hard to watch an under in the beginning because all it takes is one fumble by Tennessee deep in the end and Jacksonville gets a quick touchdown and it messes with your head. But if you can get to halftime and it's 14-3 you know, to 3 and you've got a team that they're under 17 and they've only got three at halftime, well then the second half's fun. When you're winning a bet and you're in no risk of losing that bet, it doesn't matter the sport. It's fun to watch.
2: What about the overall over-under though? That's 41 for that game. You don't think that's a bit low? No,
0: because all Tennessee does is stop people from scoring and they're not a scoring powerhouse. When I look at the numbers it was all use tennessee i think it's games stay under the
1: number i think it's tennessee on the over in this game i think they're going to be able to run in this game jacksonville has had problems against power backs it's going to be very hard back-to-back weeks to knock off derrick henry they gotta have a chip on their shoulders Bill. i expect derrick henry to get himself two touchdowns at close to 100 yards in this game against the jacksonville jaguars front seven and in the last couple of weeks have not played well is I like Tennessee, but I'm
0: also adding Jacksonville team total on there. If you understand the concept of all the opportunities that are out there in sports betting nowadays, you can have one handicap an opinion, and it gets you three or four bets you
1: win. I've got you an upset that you could bet on. Detroit knocks off Minnesota this week in Detroit.
0: Gave that play out. That is my best bet of the weekend is the over in that game. Everybody seems to love Detroit this week. So all I you're do. hearing is they're the up-and-coming team, and Minnesota's getting disrespected.
1: Their on secondary minus. is garbage. At
0: the beginning. Beginning
1: of the year,
0: Detroit Chaz, was two different teams. If they were on the road, they were terrible. And if they were at home, they were good. And they got just got a little better on the road. But at home, all they do is score points. I'm hoping this game is like 28-20 at Chaz, halftime. Chaz, if I'll the Jets
1: had a competent offensive coordinator, the game would have been over in the third quarter. There was no way the Jets lose that game if Mike LaFleur was actually a good offensive coordinator. They
0: should have won that game. There's they no should
1: have, and Minnesota should not be 10-2. and two. They're going into this Detroit Lions game thinking that they're better than everybody else and they're the second best team in all of the NFL. They're not. They're not even close. I wouldn't even say they're a top five team. You
0: know what I asked someone about this game earlier in the day? Which of these quarterbacks has been in a Super Bowl recently?
1: Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff's a better quarterback. I trust him more to make the right decision. And I think he has weapons over there. Williams is playing this week. This is his first game back from his torn ACL. I expect him to be a big part. Look at that offense. If Brown and Williams turns out to be a deep threat, you're talking about two dominant forces on both sides of the field. So this... Offense could be even more prolific. If you've got five wins, you're not out of the
0: playoffs right now.
1: I don't think they're making the playoffs because it's so bunched together in the NFC East. Detroit's going to have to win out their game.
0: You're dealing with a lot of division games this last month of the season. Yeah. If a team tanks, they could tank quickly. You can go from 6-6 six and six and in a good place in your division to 6-9 and nine in a heartbeat. And there really is two good teams in each conference. Everybody else is a
1: crapshoot. Who do you have on Sunday for San Francisco and Tampa?
0: I had a conversation with a buddy that said, saw this game the total opposite of what I saw. You lose your first string quarterback. And we talked about this with the Rams. What are the Rams' records? It's a really poor record. I only watched the last three minutes of that game. I happened to be downstairs because I'm doing wake-and-bake. It was a horrible, boring game. No, I it- only saw, Errol, the last three minutes and 19 seconds. I'm telling seconds you, I watched the like game
1: when I was DJing. It was a horrible boring game and josh mcdaniels should be fired how are you right. an offensive minded coach but i only watched the in last game?
0: three minutes and the last three minutes was really cool the rams are again using four quarterbacks san francisco's on their third quarterback there's no reason for them to be good yet where are they they lead their division they got the number one defense and they got an offensive coordinator who is going to make sure that this kid does not lose this game but do i want to? be in a position where they're winning something to three points less than that. Say it's 27-24 and the line is three and a half. Don't want to have to worry about this kid covering. He's a third string quarterback. I just want them to win the game. So I'm taking San Francisco on the money line. Tampa Bay, their unders are amazingly poor. They've got out of 24 games. My son came in last time. They were on primetime. He goes, what do you think about this game? I said, all I know, Tampa Bay don't score and it goes under every single week. They got a pretty good defense, yeah, but they, they don't shouldn't score. Have won. <laughs> they stayed under, right? Right? Yeah. Was it back-to-back games where mm-hmm. the team won basically in the last minute? Yep. By a Same point on the, scenarios
2: with two points. On the extra point. Tom Brady yeah. came back for the Buccaneers. Josh McDaniels blew it for the Raiders. Yeah. Same score. 16-3 under five minutes to go. What do they got in common? Tom and so
0: that's who underway. I like here all there. I like San Francisco. Tampa Bay in the first half this season has been under 11 of 12 games. This is Tom Brady. Yeah. And then San They're Francisco in the goals. second half at home, they allow seven or less in seven of the last eight. So you got a team that don't score facing a team who's Got a pretty good defense and doesn't give up a lot of points. It just seems like an easy winner. One team that was a great first quarter team this week it was the Jets. Hey. They're eight and one in the first quarter in their last nine games. How wonderful.
1: If you're a Jets fan, hop on them early. And if they lose, hey, you know what? They made you a couple bucks. Yippee Skippy. How about winning a game in Buffalo this week? I'm really shutting up all the New York fans and telling all the fans that I've been oh, saying it, that I mean, they be. If you sat here when we talked in, in August
0: and you told me you were going to bet that the Jets would sweep Buffalo this year. People would have laughed at you, but the odds would have been extraordinarily high.
1: Oh, nobody has the Jets winning this week. I think you absolutely bet on whatever the line is against them. I think they're absolutely going to cover this week. Maybe have a chance to win this game. I don't know how cold it's going to be, if it's going to be wet out there, but everything that I know, it's not going to be windy, and I think that benefits the Jets. Who's got the better kicker? The Jets do. Hey, speaking who's, of who's kickers. Who's the better running team?
0: The Jets. Speaking oh. Speaking of kickers, if it isn't against the spread, I don't really discuss it. The first thing someone tells me about anything that happens with any sport in any game is I ask, you know what the
2: line was on that game?
0: But is this kid, this punter from San Diego State, going to get another shot or what? I don't think so.
2: No. I wouldn't trust the team to sign him. If it's a different position, like more priority, maybe they get a shot, but it's a punter. That girl ruined his life.
0: It takes two to tangle. You got to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But to he didn't do anything. Out to
2: yeah, but he was in the
0: wrong
1: place at the wrong time. It's just a shame. His career is over, because of that girl? Would he be the first
0: male in our species? Because I'm not a big fan of human beings. I've made that quite clear over the months. <laughs> do Especially you like gorillas? Pandemic. Yeah, but would be he the first male to get ruined by another male who he considers his friend? Guys do stupid stuff. We've been doing stupid stuff since we were cavemen and we'll be doing stupid stuff forever. Well, we Chaz,
1: we really appreciate the time as always. There's no Wes. There's no Johns. There's no Hector. Wes didn't
0: give us a play that Errol doesn't agree
1: with. Oh, I can't wait until he's wrong about this play. I'm (laughs)
0: There was no way I was betting against Winnipeg in the CFL championship game. They covered the first half. I kind of keyed him early. I bet favorites early, big, and if they cover and do what they're supposed to do early, and then they give it up at the end, yeah, whatever. I don't care. I Mm -hmm. got my ticket already. But he was right
1: Toronto. CFL is
0: different. No, I'm just telling you, the dude, when he gives you a team that's getting points, you should not only bet it, you should bet it to win the game. I'm betting
1: against against it, and if I'm right, I'm going to stick it to him. He does. He tests us on the group message. We will know. Oh, I'm going to stick it to him. Yeah, we will. Thank you, Chaz. Alright, all right, guys. Always be cashing. Chaz aka Chazimoto and Moneyline Mania. Yes, he will be back next week. Everybody keep listening to Moneyline Mania. These guys are absolutely closer to 83 and a half.
0: Uh, all I know is Wes was like 8-1 and one last weekend. Remember? And he'll be
1: uh, 0-1 this week.
0: Because he only gave us that one play. So <laughs> he's either going to be perfect or a loser.
1: This week I think he's going to be a loser. I can't wait to hit him up on the text message when I said I told you so.
0: My philosophy, what I'm betting, is reminding people listen, I'm not playing. I'm not coaching. I'm sure in hell a- I umpiring. So <laughs> all I'm doing is picking. That
1: was Moneyline Mania. When we come back, the New York Islanders finally, after a three-game losing streak, found a way to win last night. They beat the New Jersey Hot Devils. There is a name that's coming up in the tabloids, and it could be Patrick Kane. So, the Islanders are interested, the Rangers, and the Devils are interested in Patrick Kane. So, when we come back, we'll get into this whole Patrick Kane sweepstakes. The Islanders not hot, playing bad hockey, and the Rangers starting to play better hockey. So, when we come back, we'll get into the Tri-State New York teams here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, with co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen on our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The L.I. News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Go check out our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Me and Speedy have a show called The Sports Lounge every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursday at 9 p.m. Listen to all our shows. Wise Guys, are heard if you're Buffalo Bills fan. The Jets launch pad pod. It's a great Jet show. Wake and Bake every single Saturday. If you like the bet, go check out Wake and Bake. Let's get into some Islander conversation. In the last couple of weeks, the Islanders have been up and then all of a sudden in the last week, fallen down. And it's not because of goaltending. They lost Pellick to a concussion. But what this team is, is a team that has a lack of offense. The Islanders right now have 92 goals. They have had problems scoring goals in the big games against the better teams. Matthew Barzell is an assist machine. He's one of the best passers in the league. But that's not why the Islanders in the offseason paid him $9 million a year. They paid him because he's an elite player in this league. But he can't become an elite player in this league because they don't have anybody that can play with him that can give him the ability to put the puck in the net. Could be the facilitator while he is the closer. The other player becomes the closer and he becomes the facilitator. Anders Lee and Josh Bailey doesn't cut it. Oliver Wallstrom don't cut it. Look how many players have played on that first line. They had Zach Parisi on that line. You can't win without an elite line. They don't have an elite line. Anders Lee is a good player. He's not elite. You bring in a guy like Patrick Kane to play with Matthew Barzell, forget it. You got a speed guy that could pass, he could shoot, he can close. Something that the Islanders haven't had in a very long time. And I remember Gart Snow when he signed Andrew Ladd and they thought he was going to be that player. They signed him seven years and it screwed everything up. When Lou Lamorello came in, you want Patrick Kane. He has four good years left. He could still skate amongst the league's best. He could puck handle. He could shoot. If you put him on a good team, he'll be even better. But is Patrick Kane enough to get them over the hump this year if they make the playoffs? And the answer is no. They need another offensive-minded player to play on another one of those lines. You need to have an elite line when you get into the playoffs. You need a line. If you put them on the ice and you say, I need a goal, they could go out there and find one. They don't have that line. They're pretty good on every one of their lines. And Matthew Barzell is their most talented player. I think Sorokin is their best. And then there's the Rangers. The Rangers have not played well this year. But are starting to play a little bit better. And they're only a point behind Carolina, Pittsburgh, and the Islanders at 34. And I believe that this division is going to be so close all the way to the end. Devils that have 43, which I think eventually will come down to life. But the Rangers need to find offense as well. They're not scoring a lot of goals. Out of all these teams that are fighting for a playoff spot, they have the second least amount of goals. Carolina has 77, but they're one of the best defensive teams in a league and have great goaltending. The Rangers have 89 goals and 82 goals against. That's a number that's really, really high. 82 goals when you have Shisterking. It's only started to improve recently. Really bad for a while, especially that West Coast trip. It was horrible. The Rangers need to find offense, so maybe Patrick Kane would fit the Rangers culture. I don't know what the Rangers are willing to give up. Bringing Patrick Kane in, I understand him and Panarin are very close. They're very good friends. They play together on a line, and that was a dominant line, by the way, in Chicago, and they won a Stanley Cup on that line. But is this Ranger team that Chicago Blackhawks team? When they had all that young talent, they were stacked, including their goaltender in Crawford.
2: Their defense too. The Rangers have a good defense, but I wouldn't say it's anywhere close to that Blackhawks defense. Now, with their lack of center depth, does Patrick Kane make a lot of sense because he's not a center? Yes, he's a great passing winger. He has 50 plus assists each of the last four years, but the Rangers need so much center depth. That's why I think it makes a lot more sense for the Islanders because the Islanders at least have center depth. Brock Nelson's a good center, Ajo's a good face-off guy. They're I going need. to have to give one of them up. They need that speedy winger. Not that anyone can skate to the level of Barzell, but at least to keep up with him at some point. Why is Zach Parise on the first line? Close to 40 years old. The Rangers I don't think they're in position to do that kind of thing because they have a lot of wingers. Yes, they have inconsistent youngsters. Let them actually develop. Islanders have a lot of veteran guys. Yes, they have some good young guys too, but most of those guys are on defense. Wallstrom's really the primary offensive guy. I I just
1: worry that the Islanders bring Patrick Kane in and he's not the same player. He's having a bad season right now. I know it's on a bad Chicago Blackhawks team and they're putting him on a crappy line. You've played 26 games and you only have four goals and 16 assists. Negative 15? That scares me. You don't think the lack of goals would drive down his price a little bit? Yes, I think they'll get him less. They don't have to give up as much, but is he worth making that trade for? If he does go to the island, is he going to go on that first line and he's going to do the things that they believe he's going to do? I think they would need two players either way. Impact, offensive players. They're
2: going to have to get a second one that's probably an expiring contract. Tarasenko. pricey too. Are they going to be able to do both them and Kane? Well, they have control
1: of him for next year. Tarasenko has one year left. Now,
2: if they do Tarasenko, are they going to be able to do Kane too? That's going
1: to be a little harder. I think they could. Is Patrick Kane starting Four years old. He's right. not going to get a huge contract. He's going to get around $6 million for four years. Could they afford him? They'll have to trade Josh Bailey and they're probably going to have to trade Pajot. Pajot has been the center of a lot of trades. And, and transition
2: so. Wallstrom into a full time center, you think? Of course. Yeah. He actually came up as a prospect as a center, but they moved him to wing because they had a lot of center depth because the Allarders were that instant success the first year without Tavares. So they didn't really need him to be that. The Allarders had a little bit more cap leeway than the Rangers do. The Rangers were right at the brink, right at the end of free agency. So it's gonna be a little bit harder for them to pull it off. I think the Rangers have to focus on centers that can win faceoffs and play defense,
1: like they traded for Cop last year and then let him go. Bolvillier is a guy that a lot of people think that the Islanders have lost confidence in. He has been a good player in the playoffs. He's been dominating the playoffs. How many players have the numbers he has in the playoffs in the last two or three seasons? Not many. He's a great in-game type of player. Problem with him is during the season, he falls off and he completely disappears. And they need consistency. They need consistent goal scoring. And I don't think he is. I think he's another guy that the Islanders are going to part ways at the end of the season. They pretty much have control of all their defensemen except Mayfield. They will probably re-sign Mayfield in the offseason. He's not going to make more than 3 or $4 a year. But he's still a pretty good defensive player. And they have a couple of really good farmhands in their Bridgeport AHL team. I think that the Islanders are set up very, very well. There's Patrick Kane the guy that they really, really want. The other one that's brought into this, too, is the Devils as well.
2: Overperforming. Do they make that kind they're of move? They're not making too? the trade. No, he's
1: and, too old, and they're a young team. I don't know if
2: they're necessarily in position with the prospects right now to make that kind of move. Now, they have the money. Yes, they give the big contract to Dougie Hamilton. They still pay Jesper Brot Beyond that, a lot of their team is young. The question is, do they want to trade guys on their roster? Because the rest of their farm system is pretty thin. Unless they trade one of their goalies, too, which they've had a nice platoon this year when Blackwood's been healthy and the played well. Goalies are hard to find. I
1: do not believe he's going to the Devils. I think it's either the Rangers or the Islanders or somewhere else. But I think out of the Rangers and the Islanders, it makes a lot of sense with the Islanders. But I could see the Rangers swooping right in because of the whole Panarin thing and making a trade for them. I don't think we'll see anything until closer to the trade deadline, but anything's possible. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? A little bit of basketball and then some crunch time here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Week at Crutch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. I want to finish up with a little basketball, and the Knicks are winning right now. I don't think they're winning anything this year. I think this team is a rebuilding team. I think they need to start trading away pieces. I think they need to figure out out what they're doing with rj barrett mitchell robertson they have one player and that's their star point guard jalen brunson is the only decent player on this team this team stinks julius randle they have a contract they can't get rid of fournier they're all garbage they have some good young players grimes looks like he's starting to develop but if they don't have a centerpiece they're never going anywhere and they thought rj barrett was going to be that guy they were wrong i still think rj barrett's going to be a good player but he's more of a number two he'll never be a bad man and Brunson, even though I think he could be somewhat of a Batman, I think he's more like a Robin, too. I think they have two Robins, and they don't have a Batman. If they had a good Batman, maybe they'd be a playoff contender and maybe a championship contender team. They brought in
2: Brunson originally to improve the floor spacing and have more of a true point guard. He could shoot. He could definitely drive to the hoop. He's an undersized guy, so they don't want to have to wear him out because we've seen a lot of point guards get worn out because of usage rate, and then they get worse later in their career. RJ Barrett is the biggest issue. He's shooting 40.3% and 28.5% from three. He's improved from the free throw line. 77, rest of it is not going to cut it. Julius Randle, I would hope they could trade. This is the best value. You're going to probably get 21.6 points and 8.8 rebounds. Tom
1: Thibodeau needs to be done. Kenny Atkinson is the guy that I think fits very, very well with the New York Knicks, especially with some of the young players. And with Kenny Atkinson, you just rebuild. You do have a lot of draft stock. You can build around the draft, but right now, out of the three guys that everybody was talking about that year with Williamson and Ja Morant and R.J. Barrett, R.J. Barrett was the top prospect going into that season. He falls to the Knicks, and everybody says, wow, the Knicks got a steal. R.J. Barrett, out of all three of those guys, is the worst. You have John Moran, who's the best, and one of the best point guards in the league. And then you have Williamson. If he could stay healthy, he's better than John Moran. And I still think he'll be a Nick. If R.J. Barrett is still there, and I know he took that contract, Zion Williamson will ask... To be traded His family already said He doesn't want to be there So I do believe He'll be a Nick. I just don't know when Are the Knicks Going to get him in the prime They had a chance To bring right. in a superstar In his prime And they absolutely blew it So if Williamson Wants to be here They have to find Every possible way To bring him here The Knicks do have Two of his buddies From the Duke Blue Devils The Dukies. It is time for Crunch time
0: It's time for Crunch time, time, time. Got to see the pitch
2: all right, let's start with some baseball. Buy or sell. Now it's Xander Bogarts being signed by the Padres.
1: Fernando Tatis will be traded. I'm going to sell that. We have to see what he is on the field. If he's a good player again without steroids, why would they trade him? He's too talented a player. He's a 5 tool player. He can hit for average. Maybe he doesn't hit as many home runs, but it doesn't matter. Shifting is now gone. He's still a fantastic player. I believe that they won't trade him, so I will sell it. I'm going to buy
2: it. I think they, realizing they went to the LCS without him last year, I think they have a lot of confidence in a lot of the other talent around They've been good at making good trades when they need to. And I think Bogarts they trust as a durable veteran leader that has World Series and playoff experience to take them to that next level. I think they will trade Tatis. I think his issues are being mounted where they could overcome it last year. So I will buy that. The youngster, Brock
1: Purdy, will have more passing yards than Tom Brady. I buy it. I don't know what's going on with Tom Brady. The offensive line isn't protecting him. They put a lot of stress on him. And he has to make more plays in the open field that he never did with the Patriots. He never had to do when he won the Super Bowl with the. Buccaneers a couple of years ago. I just don't know if this Buccaneer team is ready to win this year. I think this is his last year and I think he'll be done watching this garbage of an offensive line. But Purdy is going to be the better quarterback. He has the better offensive line and he has the better defense that's going to get at Tom Brady big time. So I absolutely buy it. I'm going to buy it too. You don't need net yardage to have
2: more passing yards. You can just rely on yards after the catch, which I think the Niners could do. I think Christian McCaffrey will have a lot of receiving yards. I think Debo Samuel after the catch is going to be a big thing against an older Buccaneers defense. So I absolutely I'm going to buy that. Deion Sanders, flashy hire at Colorado. Buy or sell? Once the 12-team playoffs come in, he will
1: make the college football playoffs within the first three years. I'll sell that. I think it's going to take him a little while. He does have 200 players right now want to jump into the portal, come and play over there with him Colorado. He has a great coaching staff. We'll have to see if he can actually coach in a high-profile Division I school. Do I think he can? Oh, well, it's prime time. He's very well-respected, not only around college football, but the NFL. And I think he can find a way to get these guys to play for. So I think it's going to take him a little bit longer. But I do believe if he keeps going the path the way he's going, I think he will. But I'll sell that. Yeah, I'll sell the first three years. I think it'll take once USC and UCLA get out of
2: the Pac-12. There might be other expansion within there, but those teams are going to need to take time. But, I but don't, there's
1: no question I think he'll do
2: it. I think he'll do it at some point, maybe five years from now. Get Four years. Kind of, yeah. Once that kind of reputation comes into effect. Because the transfer portal is not going to stop. I
1: don't We're, think it's going to be in Colorado. I don't right. think he's going to stay there more than three years. I think he's going to prove himself for three years. Get a lot of these recruits to come over there and play with him, and he's going to get Colorado in a pretty good position in a top 20 ranking. Full short in a top 10. When a position opens up where he wants to go, a Miami team or a Florida team, that's where I think he goes. Yeah, nevertheless, I am going to sell that. The Pac-12 always gets themselves in their own
2: way. Jacob DeGrom will be traded before the end of his Rangers contract.
1: I'll sell that. There's no trade clause. I think he wants to set up shop over there in Texas, buy a farm, and that's where he wants to raise his kids, so I'm selling it.
2: Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think at that point, either they're going to get the young kids to to finally work, whether they make the playoffs or win World Series. Jacob
1: doesn't care about winning World Series. Jacob cares about getting his money and raising his kids and leaving everybody behind, including the press. He doesn't want to deal with the press. But I do think there's a path where they can get better later because I do yeah. think they have enough offensive talent.
2: It just a matter of if they can get all the pitching with the rest of the money they have. So I am going to sell that. Garrett Wilson will have more catches
1: or receiving
2: yards than Stephon Dix.
1: I'm going to buy it. I like what I've seen with Garrett Wilson. The confidence level, what he has done against top-end type of corners this year. Patrick Peterson last week couldn't stop him. They tried to double-team. They tried to triple-team him. They couldn't stop him in the open field. Eight catches for 160 yards. I think it's going to be a little bit of the same. He's not going to have 160 yards against White. But I think he can have close to 100 yards. But I think he is going to cause a big mismatch in the open field. Because you could put him in the slot. You could put him on the outside. You can move him all over the field. And they love to do it. And he's a guy that doesn't drop the ball. So, yeah,
2: I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it. I think he'll have more catches than Diggs does. I think Diggs will have some big plays. Yeah, I do, too. they just not a good red zone team. Yeah, they maneuvered him around the field in the first meeting very well. That's why he did have a big game, even though he was shut down in the fourth quarter. Stefan Diggs, I think, will still have more yards, but I think Garrett Wilson will have more catches. I think they'll get him more involved after the catch against a Bill secondary that's banged up, so I am going to
1: buy that. The Yankees will sign Carlos Rodon. Absolutely buy it. I think they're planning to do it by the end of this weekend. If they don't do it, they're going to be attacked because they gave Aaron Judge $360 million. I think the Yankees want to open up their pocket. I think the Yankees have a plan moving forward with Brian Cashman, and if they can boost up this starting rotation, add a little pitches in that bullpen, they find a hitter here and there. They have a very good farm system. They trust the farm system will be up and ready to go this year. So, i would buy it, baby! Yeah, I'm buying it, too. That's a good contract. Six
2: years, $30 million a year that I think is perfect for what Brian Cashman likes to do. He likes left-handed pitching. He likes pitchers that he can control, and young guys. I think it's a perfect match made in heaven for that. And Carlos Rodon wants to win, and the Yankees have a great chance to do that. I'm he grew up a Yankee that. fan, too, by the way. That definitely helps the cause. I will buy it. All right, last one. Both Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Herbert will have 250-plus yards and two-plus
1: touchdowns. 100%. This is going to be an absolute war between both quarterbacks because they both have something to prove. And I think Tua is going to win big time. Not because I don't think Justin Herbert could keep up with him. I think he's just as good, even better than Tua. But Tua has more weapons. And I think they can run the ball. They can throw the ball. All around, they have the better defense. So I absolutely believe they're both going to have over 250 yards and two touchdowns.
2: I'm going to buy it! This one, I'll disagree. I'm going to sell this one only because I think Miami is going to run really well in this game. The Chargers can't stop the run. Jeff Wilson has been a great player since he's come over to Miami. He only really struggled get his former team last week in the 49ers. They got Raheem Mostert back. I think they're going to go up big where they're not going to have to throw as much. I think he'll do well. I think he'll have 220-something and two touchdowns. Herbert definitely will. I think he'll have to throw the ball a lot in this game to be able to come back, but I don't think Tua does because I think that running game will help him. I will sell
1: it. Before we go, I want to announce that Brittany Griner is now home for all that crap that happened over there in Russia. 11 months in the jails over there, and I could only imagine what she has seen. The Russian jails are one of the worst in the world, and the fact that a six foot 10 woman dealt with all the crap that she's dealt with over the last couple of months, I feel bad. But you know, if she wasn't a superstar player, WNBA superstar, she was some Joe Schmo like me and you, we would still be sitting behind bars. It's crazy. But then again, I'm happy that she's home. I'm happy that she's safe. Shout out to the Griner family. Absolutely. That's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you to Adam Silverstein for joining us, CBS Sports and 24-7 Sports Editorial Director. He was fantastic. Thank you, Adam. Thank you to our boy, Moneyline Mania man, Chazzy Moto over there. Thank you for adding his two cents and some of his handicapping. And by the way, do not bet on that one pick for us. Come on, Panthers. Do not bet on that pick. People are making a big mistake. Wes is right a lot, but this is the wrong move. I hope he's right. This is the wrong move, baby. That's it for our show. Thank you to all the fans. Keep listening to us. We love entertaining you guys, and we'll be back next week with some new craziness and great content, as always. Good night.